What's going on, guys? You're listening to Moonlight Madness on Weagle 91.1 from 7 to 8 p.m. every Thursday. I'm Jacob Goins, and over the next hour, I'll be discussing the hottest topics in sports around the country and around Auburn athletics. Follow me on Twitter at Goins2Jacob, that's G-O-I-N-S, the number two, Jacob, for all show updates and other sporting news. Let's get into the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome into Moonlight Madness here on Wego 91.1 FM. My name's Jacob Goins. It is December 2nd. We have made it all the way to December. We are just a couple of weeks away from the end of the semester here at Auburn University. We have this week of classes and then finals week next week, and then we are on Christmas break for a month. I am so excited. Cannot wait to get a little bit of break from school and just everything else. Go home, see the family for a little bit, and just have some downtime because I haven't had any, to be really honest with you, over the semester. So really looking forward to that next week. Just some news here for Moonlight Madness. Of course, this is not live. I was not able to do my show live from Thursday 7 to 8 this week, so I recorded it. It's up as a podcast, as you already know. And then this is also the last show of the semester. This is it because of finals week next week and then campus being closed for Christmas break. This is the last show of the semester. So after this show... We will get started back up in January when we come back for classes for the spring semester. I believe we come back January 12th or 11th, somewhere in there. So whatever that week is, that Thursday, we will be live yet again, Thursday 7 to 8 on that week, probably the second week of January when we come back for the spring semester. So this is the last episode of the semester, so let's make it a good one. Let's jump into the big three. Number one on the big three tonight, college football coaching carousel. It has been wild this past week with college coaches leaving their schools to go to other schools and take new jobs, new coaches coming in and getting hired, and they're just going all over the place and leaving immediately, not even saying things to their teams half the time. It's been insane. So let's let's go ahead and dive in and just talk about what has all been going on with college football coaching in this past week. The biggest news was on Sunday afternoon, evening, when Lincoln Riley was announced as the U- as the new USC coach. He left Oklahoma and is going to Southern California, which is crazy because nobody really knew that this was going on. And apparently this has been in the works for quite a while, and nobody really knew about it. And so right after the game Saturday night, apparently this is how it went down. Oklahoma game ended Saturday night. Lincoln Riley was reached out to about the USC job officially. He talked about it Sunday morning, accepted it, and was gone by Sunday afternoon. That's how fast these things work in college football. It's a business, and it's about the money, and it's all about business. So he was up and gone in less than 48 hours after coaching his final game at Oklahoma, which is insane. But he took a huge pay raise. They bought both of his houses in, I think in like in Oklahoma where he was living. Then they bought his house in California where he's going to be staying. They're paying all his like, all his fees. He has a private jet for his family now. Like 
just insane amount of money that they threw at this guy. But it's a good hire. He's a really, really good coach. And he took a step up, if you're being really honest. He took a step up from what Oklahoma is right now going out to USC. And there's a couple reasons I think he did it. One, I think Lincoln Riley realized that USC is one of the top-tier college football programs of all time. It's the best football program on the West Coast. They may not be the best team right now, but when you talk about a historic program on the West Coast, you think of USC. You think of 2004 USC with Reggie Bush. You think of USC as a dominant, superior college football powerhouse. So I think he realized that. Two, of course, the amount of money they threw at him was probably a pretty big factor. And then three, with Oklahoma coming to the SEC, I think he probably realized he's going to struggle, and Oklahoma's going to struggle with recruiting and with competing in the SEC because the SEC is still the best conference in college football, and there's still this guy named Nick Saban who can out-recruit anybody. And then you've got Kirby Smart, who's now getting to that level recruiting. And when you have to compete with those guys, you're not going to win. That's just how it is. You're not going to win the recruiting battles. And most of the time, you're not going to win the head-to-head matchups with those guys. And so instead of Lincoln Riley coming to the SEC and just destroying Oklahoma and his already high-level performance that he's had at Oklahoma, because they've had a lot of good teams. They've made the playoff a bunch of times, won the Big 12, The dude coached Oklahoma and coached them really well. But instead of destroying all of his hard work when coming to the SEC, he said, I'm going to go to the Pac-12, the weakest Power 5 conference in college football, maybe besides the ACC. And I'm going to go out there and take over an historic program, and I'm going to have recruiting all to myself. So I don't blame him. Man, I really don't. I don't blame him for what he did. I do blame him on how he did it. I don't like how he did it. Because he coached his final game and he left 48 hours later and was up and gone and just said, see you, Oklahoma, I'm gone. I don't like that. And, and he was not the only one to do it either. Brian Kelly, right? Brian Kelly left Notre Dame and is now going to LSU. That's the second one that we're talking about in this coaching college football coaching carousel. He has left Notre Dame to go to LSU, and he did the exact same thing. He got that job offer, and he was gone. He bolted. The Notre Dame players found out on social media. They found out on Twitter, sitting in their dorms, watching TV, scrolling through Twitter, and they find out that their head coach has taken a brand new job at LSU. That's tough, man. That's tough. And that hurts, and that gets out, and that recruits see that type of thing. Now, Brian Kelly did have a team meeting the next morning, like 7 a.m., and he came in and basically just told him, hey, I'm taking a new opportunity, leaving to go to LSU, all that stuff. But Lincoln Riley to to USC and Brian Kelly to LSU were definitely the two biggest hires of this week but both of them got those job opportunities and they bolted didn't even think twice about it 
But I like both of those coaches making the move. I already explained like I, why I like Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC. Now let me tell you why Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU is a huge step up. First of all, LSU is a bigger job than Notre Dame. It just is. LSU is in the SEC. They're a historic program. Not that Notre Dame's not. But LSU is a better program. They have more money. They have better talent. They have better facilities. They have better coaches. And they have better players. And the Southeast has the best players in the entire country. They just do. And now with Brian Kelly, a legendary coach from Cincinnati and Notre Dame, now he comes down to the uh, to the Southeastern Conference to see what he can do. He won. He's won everywhere he's been. You got to give him credit. He has won everywhere he's been. But now, now he's coming down here to play big boy football. Notre Dame is not anywhere near what the SEC is, and we've seen that when Notre Dame wins out, they win out, or they win all but one game, and then they go to the playoff and they get destroyed. Happens every year. One, it's because the competition level that they play is not as high as what you're going to get in the SEC. And then the talent level, there's just a huge difference. There's a big gap between the talent level you're going to get at Notre Dame and the talent level you're going to get at LSU. Because with Notre Dame, you're limited on your area where you can go get players. And with Notre Dame being the school that it is, You've got to be almost a freaking genius to go to school there. And so you're limiting yourself that way as well to get true athletes. And I'm not saying you don't have to be smart to get into LSU because you do. But Notre Dame, I think you have to have like a 33 on the ACT just to even be considered to go there. A 33 out of 36 on the ACT. A 30 on the ACT will get you just about anywhere you want to go in the country. So that's the expectations that Notre Dame puts on its athletes academically. So coming to LSU, that's going to be laxed a little bit. And with LSU, you have a whole state to recruit from. You own the state of Louisiana. And then you can go in the states around it. You can go into Texas, and you can go into Mississippi or try to go over to Alabama and get some of those key players. You have the whole Southeast to recruit from. So Brian Kelly, he's been a winner everywhere he's been. He has, and you can't deny it. But now he has stepped up, and he's he's taken a big boy job. And we're going to see what he can do in the SEC. And I watched his, his meeting with his players when he came down to LSU talking to the team. He said, I came to LSU to coach the best players in the country, to coach in the best conference in the country, and to coach at the best school in the country. It's what he said. Sounds good. Looks good. We're going to see. We're going to see what he can do. But I'm excited. I think that's a great coach to have in the SEC with Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and coming to LSU. A couple other coaches that have left their schools this week to go to another school. Billy Napier from Louisiana took the Florida job. Of course, Dan Mullen being fired a few weeks ago. And now 
Billy Napier from Louisiana took the job at Florida. I think it's a fantastic hire. I really do. I think that is a fantastic hire. The guy's a winner. He's been proven to win. He's a player's coach. That's all you've ever heard is that the guy is loved by his players and he coaches for his players, and that's what you want to see. That's an underrated hire, and it flew under the radar because that happened and then the Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly news was floating around and going around and going crazy. So the Billy Napier hire at Florida really went under the radar, but I like it. I like it a lot. I think he's got a real opportunity to be successful there. And, again, you've got the state of Florida where Florida, the University of Florida, needs to get back on level number one in recruiting in that state and get back to being the best team in the state of Florida because right now they're not. There's a lot of better schools that are better than Florida right now. So I like the Billy Napier hire. I really do. It's an underrated hire. And I hope it pans out because I think he can be really, really successful down there. A couple other coaches taking new jobs this week. Rhett Lashley took the SMU head coaching job. Of course, he was the Miami, University of Miami offensive coordinator. He was here at Auburn for a couple of years. And I really liked the guy. It seemed like everybody that's worked with him has really liked him. He seems to be pretty successful at what he does. So he took the SMU job. It's his first head coaching job that he's had. He's always been a, a coordinator. So this is his first head coaching position. We'll see how it pans out. I'm rooting for the guy. I really am. I like him. I think he's got he's got a lot of knowledge and he knows what he's doing. But there's always a big step when you go from coordinator position to your first head coaching job. So we'll see what his success will be there at SMU. I like the hire. I really do. And so now with these big-time schools having coaching vacancies, that's where it starts to get a little interesting. So the big one that I was thinking or were looking at was the Notre Dame vacancy. Now that Brian Kelly is off to LSU, Notre Dame's looking for a head coach. And there's two names that have been floating around. Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, who is probably the likely candidate. Or if they throw enough money at Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. It's an interesting it's an interesting take, if you will. But here's the problem. Luke Fickle and Cincinnati, they're on the verge of a playoff berth. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment, the conference championship games and the playoff impacts and what coaching is impacted on that as well. But Notre Dame looking to fill that coaching vacancy, either Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, or possibly Luke Fickle, but there's some worries that I have on that. That's going to do it for number one. When we come back, we're going to dive into number two of the big three, the college football playoff. Rankings are out with one week to go in conference championships on the rise. You're listening to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm Jacob Goins, your host of Moonlight Madness. Moonlight Madness is every Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. Central Time right here on WGL 91.1 FM. Or if you can't listen live, just type in Moonlight Madness wherever you get your podcast. We're rolling into the big three on number two. The college football conference championship games are this coming weekend, and they have huge college football playoff implications. Four conference championship games have direct Final Four playoff implications. The Big 12 championship game, the SEC championship game, 
the AAC championship game, and the Big Ten championship game. Those four conference championship games have huge and direct impacts on who makes the top four and who makes the college football playoff. In the Big 12, number nine, Baylor, and number five, Oklahoma State. Now, the impact's here. Oklahoma State is number five in the country. They're, they're on the outside looking in. At 11-1, and one, they're the best team in the Big 12 right now, ranking-wise. And they're the fifth best team in the country, according to the playoff rankings. They're 11-1, and one, ranked number fifth, right behind Cincinnati, right in front of Notre Dame. If Oklahoma State wins, they're likely in. I mean, that's just, that's just how it's going to go. If Oklahoma State wins, they'll be in the playoff. It'll be their first berth in the college football playoff. they got to beat a good Baylor team, but it's nothing they can't do. So I think 100% if Oklahoma State wins, they're in. So big game there in the Big 12. The AAC, Houston and Cincinnati. Of course, Cincinnati, number four in the country in the college football playoff rankings. They're undefeated. They've beaten everybody they've played. And that's all they can do is beat the teams in front of them. But now they play Houston, 11-1, 8-0 in the conference. They've got a tough task. But if Cincinnati wins, they should be in. They should be in. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that they will make it. There's no reason at this point that they shouldn't be in if they went out. They've done everything that the committee has asked them to do. They've won all their games. They've done it pretty handily. And, I mean, that's literally all they can do. But there's some scenarios where it could get a little tricky if Cincinnati is trying to get in. Now, if Cincinnati loses, they're out. They will not make it, I promise you. If Cincinnati loses, they will not make the playoff. That is 100% fact. But where it's going to get tricky is from the SEC championship game where you've got the number one Georgia Bulldogs at 12-0 and and then Alabama at number three who's 11-1. and Your top four right now, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati, the two teams outside looking in, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, right? So let's say that Alabama wins and they beat Georgia on Saturday. Well, Alabama's only a one-loss team, SEC champs. They're going to be in. I mean, that's 100%. And the playoff committee is not going to knock Georgia out, and you can't. Georgia's been too good all year. The only way that they would possibly even think about not putting Georgia in is if Bama runs in there and just blows them out of the water and beats them by 40, which won't happen, by the way. So if Bama wins... Georgia and Alabama are both going to be in the playoff. If Oklahoma State wins, they should be in the playoff. And then in the Big Ten, you've got Michigan and Iowa. Michigan 11-1 coming off of beating Ohio State by double digits. If Michigan wins, they'll be in. So then, what do you do? If you have Georgia, who's just a one-loss in the SEC championship game, you have Michigan, a one-loss Big Ten champ, Alabama, a one-loss SEC champ. Oklahoma State, a one-loss Big 12 champ. And then, Ohio, and then 
Cincinnati, an undefeated AAC champ. That's where it's going to get interesting. But first, Alabama's got to beat Georgia on Saturday for it to get crazy. If Georgia beats Alabama, I think it'll be over. I think it'll be okay, and I think Cincinnati will get in. Because if Georgia beats Bama, Bama's out. Then it'll be Georgia. If Michigan wins, they'll be two. If Cincinnati wins, they'll be three. And if Oklahoma State wins, they'll be four. And there's your playoff. That'll be it. But it's all going to be interesting. I think the games are going to be really good. I think, I really do think all of those conference championship games are going to be really, really good. And poor Notre Dame, sitting at number six, they really have a long shot to get in. But if they had any shot, I think it's over now, now that they don't have a head coach. And that's just kind of how it goes. And I was talking in the last segment about Notre Dame looking for a head coach and possibly looking for Luke Fickle. And I was reading into something this morning, and it was actually really interesting. Luke Fickle could be hurting his opportunities and chances to take either the Oklahoma or Notre Dame job. Because right now, with teams who are just waiting for a bowl game, it's recruiting season. It is like full-on recruiting season right now. And Luke Fickle is still having to coach Cincinnati. Of course, he still wants to. But he's still having to coach Cincinnati for a conference championship game. And then if he's going to have to coach him for a playoff, that's a whole other month of coaching his current team where he can't be recruiting for another team if he takes another job. So if Cincinnati makes the playoff, he may find himself not taking a bigger job. And not that Cincinnati's not a good job, but Notre Dame and Oklahoma are bigger jobs. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. That's a fact. So it's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I was reading about that this morning, and that's really, really interesting to me. But that's kind of the situation we're looking at. If, you know, obviously either Georgia or Alabama is going to lose this weekend. Obviously, they play each other. So if, if Georgia wins, then they're in, Bama's out. If Bama wins, that's where it's going to get a little interesting. And the committee is going to put Bama in before anybody. And Cincinnati, if someone has to get the short end of the stick, it's going to be them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's going to be them. It's going to be really, really interesting. My prediction is that Georgia wins this weekend, and I think your top four for the final college football playoff rankings is going to be Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. And that's going to be a fantastic playoff. Georgia, Oklahoma State, Michigan, Cincinnati, and then I think Georgia just runs away with it. I think they're too good. But we'll see. Georgia and Alabama is going to be a great game this weekend. I think all the conference championship games are going to be good. So make sure you tune in because it's going to get a little crazy. It's going to be exciting. And it's the reason we love college football so much. That's going to do it for number two. We're going to roll right into number three of the big three here tonight on Moonlight Madness. Some news as of midnight last night. Major League Baseball is now in a lockout. You heard that right. The MLB, Major League Baseball, they are in a lockout as of midnight last night, this morning, however you want to say it. For the first time in 25 years, the entire league and every team within Major League Baseball is completely shut down right now. 
Nobody's at the facilities. Nobody's talking. Nobody's working. Every team and the, the league itself is completely shut down. Why? It's a good question. So what happened was the league and the Players Association, so Major League Baseball and then MLBPA, the Players Association, so basically the players versus the league, every few years they have to negotiate new contracts about payment and stipends that they get when they're on the road and the amount of games they're going to play and all of that kind of stuff. Well, that contract was up this year, so they had to negotiate a new one. Well, that didn't happen. And when that doesn't happen, everything gets shut down because they have to have a deal before they can go back to practice and before they can even function as a league and as an organization for teams. Like, they have to have that. And for the first time in 25 years, it it shut down. They didn't come to an agreement, and now now nobody's working. The MLB is completely shut down. And it's, it's kind of crazy because that's not something we've seen in baseball in a really long time. We've seen it in the NBA quite a bit when negotiations from the league and then the players stalls and then everything shuts down for a couple of weeks, and then they finally come to an agreement, and then they go back to running like they normally do. But that's not something that Major League Baseball has really seen a whole lot. And what causes this is the players want more pay, the payers want more benefits, they want all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the league doesn't want to pay them that much because they're trying to make money, and then they just kind of stall because neither side wants to budge. And that's where we are right now. So the owners locked out the players, basically, is how it works. They literally locked them out of the room and said, we're done. We're not, we're not negotiating until you decide to change what you want. And that's where we sit right now. And the players aren't getting paid. They don't get paid in the offseason because there's no games. And so they're on a strike, but there's really nothing for them to strike over because there's no games, so they're not being paid. So it's really not affecting the league right now. And it's not affecting the players either because they're not getting paid originally. But what this will affect is if this goes through the winter because you have spring training and then you have opening day in April. So this thing, if this thing goes for months at a time, it could affect the start of baseball and it could – Limit the amount of games that they play. They may not get all their games in. I don't think it's going to go that far. I don't think it's going to go that long. But you never know. If both sides just decide we're not budging, then that's exactly what will happen. And we could see this thing go on for months. We've seen it before in professional sports. So it can happen, but I don't think it's going to happen here. I think... Both sides. I don't think this will last but a couple weeks probably. Because eventually somebody's got to say, all right, look, let's come down just a little bit just so we can play and get paid. Or the league will say, that'll be from the players. Or the league will say, all right, look, let's just give them a little bit what they want so they'll come back and they'll play and we'll make money. And that's pretty much how it's going to go. So 
We'll see. I thought it was interesting, though, because as of that was literally as of 12.01 last night this morning, the Major League Baseball is on a lockdown. They're locked out, and there's nobody working. The teams cannot contact players. The players cannot contact teams. The teams can't talk to the league. Like It's crazy all the rules that happen during a lockout, but basically nobody's working, nobody's talking, and everybody's just kind of waiting until somebody, one of the sides, budges. So it's really interesting to look at. We'll see how long it goes. Again, I don't think it's going to go for more than a couple weeks. But if this thing goes for months, it could really affect the start and how many games we get of the Major League Baseball season. Well, that's going to do it for the big three here on Moonlight Madness. When we come back, we're going to take a look around Auburn Athletics. You're listening to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm Jacob Goins. Moonlight, Moonlight Madness is every Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. Follow me on Twitter at Goins2Jacob. That's G-O-I-N-S, the number 2, J-A-C-O-B, for all show updates and sporting news that I tweet out. I cover a lot of games for Weagle now. I actually covered the Auburn basketball game last night against UCF. I was live tweeting from the game, and I wrote my story after the press conferences, so you can actually find my story on Weagle's website, weglfm.com. We are rolling on with the show. We are about to take a look around Auburn Athletics. So we'll start with football. So, of course, last week, man, what a, I mean, just what a tough, tough loss it was for Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And here, let me just start by saying this. I was one of the people that said Auburn's going to lose by 21-plus. I said Auburn's going to lose by three touchdowns. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be nasty. And this thing's going to be over before it even gets started. But that wasn't the case. Auburn football, that football team showed up. Man, they showed up to play. And they played their hearts out for not just four quarters, but four extra quarters. Because that game went to quadruple overtime. Four overtimes. And that's just something you don't see in in football and in college football a whole lot. That was actually the first time ever that the Iron Bowl went to overtime, which is crazy because these teams have been playing forever. And so many of the games are so close. Of course, there's blowouts here and there. But the majority of the time, that game is close. So I'm really shocked that that was the first time that that the Iron Bowl has ever gone to overtime. But it did, and it made up for it because it went to four overtimes. And Auburn just, I mean, they just couldn't hang at the end of the day. Um, You know, Auburn, like I said, Auburn was supposed to lose that game by three touchdowns, and they were up 10-0 to in the fourth quarter. The defense played lights out, and I mean lights out on defense. They showed up, the defensive line got pressure, the linebackers were blitzing and dropping in coverage, and then the corners and the safeties played out of their minds. McCreary and McLean, I mean, those guys are so good, man. And the defense showed up. They played the best game of their season and probably of their careers. And you got to give them credit. They did everything they could, but the offense – it's just struggled all year long. And, of course, we've had injuries coming into it. Of course, Bo Nix didn't play. Anders Carlson, our kicker, didn't play. 
So we had TJ Finley in our backup quarterback, and he ended up getting hurt in the middle of the game anyway. He twisted his ankle or something, and he was he was hurt for most of the second half and then all of the overtimes. And so that didn't help anything. And, you know, our offense is just not – Auburn's offense has just not been what it needs to be. And so Auburn had a 10-0 lead in the fourth quarter. Auburn then had a 10-3 lead with the ball with a minute and a half to go. And just one thing after the other, TJ getting sacked down there in Alabama territory to take us out of field goal range. And then when we had when Auburn had the ball with a minute and a half and Tank getting dragged out of bounds instead of staying in and running the clock out to give Alabama basically a free timeout and getting the ball back, we just had multiple – Auburn had multiple things where they they could have closed the game out, and, and they didn't. And then when it went to overtime, I just I had a bad feeling because the longer that game went on, the better chance Alabama had to win, and that's just how it went. And by the time – and here's the thing. The first two overtimes are really good because each team gets a shot, score a touchdown – the first overtime, you can kick a PAT. The second overtime, you have to go for a two-point conversion. Then this is when it gets really dumb, and this is where I'm really mad at college football for doing this. After the second overtime, it's not full-on offensive possessions. The teams trade or go back and forth on two-point conversions, and that's just so dumb. It's so dumb because... A two-point conversion does not like decide that one team is better than the other. Just because you convert one more two-point conversion than another team does not mean that you're just that much better than another team. Like it's just it, it's a it's a quick, easy way to get the game over with because a few years ago when Texas AM and LSU went to like seven overtimes and then College football was like, whoa, wait a minute, we don't like doing this. So I hate the rule because, I mean, like I said, a two-point conversion does not separate teams by anything. And in that game, that game could have gone on for so much longer and could have had such a better finish. But ultimately, Alabama scored a two-point conversion in the fourth. Well, in the fourth overtime, Auburn had a chance to score their two-point conversion, they failed, and then Alabama got theirs, and they ended up winning in fourth overtime. But here was my biggest thing. When it went to overtime, I had a bad feeling. I said, Auburn, it's not going to be good in overtime. But Auburn, so Alabama scored, right? Alabama scored a touchdown, kicked a PAT, they're up by seven. Auburn then gets the ball. They score a touchdown. So they're down by one. And here's what I said. Go for two right there. Win or lose the game right there on that play. Because what do you have to lose if you're Auburn? You're a six-win Auburn team. You're in the Iron Bowl at home. You're in a game where you should have lost by three touchdowns. And you have nothing to lose. Literally nothing. You're supposed to lose anyway. And the longer this game goes on, the worst chance you have of winning. That's just how it is when you're playing Alabama, when the talent level and our injuries is what it was. So why not go for two right there? Go for two. If you get it, you win. If you don't, you lose, but you took an aggressive shot. 
Now, I know a lot of people would say, well, yeah, it's great if you get it, but if you don't, you're going to get killed by the fan base. It would be different if, if that game was deciding who goes to the SEC championship game to play Georgia. Then I'm like, yeah, let's kick the PAT and let's keep playing. Because, you know, if Auburn felt that our team can really go shot for shot with Alabama, then, and we're trying to get to the SEC championship game, then yeah, Auburn kicked the PAT, let's keep fighting in the double overtime. But Auburn wasn't that. They're a six-win team with nothing to lose. Show, and in my opinion, I wanted Brian Hartson to show some aggression right there. I wanted him to show that he really wanted to win instead of just extending the game out. And it's a tough call. I mean, I know it's a tough call because if you don't get it, there's going to be a lot of people really, really upset because it's the it's the not the safe move. But I would have liked to have seen the two point conversion right there on the first touchdown, win or lose, right there. And because if you win, that's huge. But if you lose, you at least tried. You know, you tried to win. But anyway, Auburn ended up losing in quadruple overtime. It was a great game, man. It really was. It was a fantastic game. The atmosphere in Jordan-Hare Stadium was the best I've seen it all season by far and the best I've seen it in quite a few years, to be really honest with you, which is surprising because you just really never know. Um, With Auburn not being a great team, not really even being a good team, Jordan-Hare Stadium and Auburn fans, we have a tendency to not be as loud and effective as we can be. But the students showed up, the fans showed up, the atmosphere was just unbelievable. And and it's that that made me believe and realize how special Auburn is and how great Auburn football is and how awesome home games are for Auburn football inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. And let me say this, Auburn may have lost on Saturday, they may have lost in the Iron Bowl, but how they did it competing the entire game going to quadruple overtime with the third best team in the country when you're clearly outmatched and outmanned and the atmosphere that the fans brought, that speaks to recruits more than the win did. It really did. Auburn didn't win, but recruits loved it. Absolutely loved it. Any recruit that was there on Saturday that I've seen said that they had a blast and that they loved it. The atmosphere was crazy. And it's that kind of environment and that kind of game that these kids want to come and play in. So Auburn didn't win, but I think they gained a lot with recruiting. I really do. I think that game was huge for Auburn recruiting-wise. So they didn't win, but I think they gained a lot of ground in recruiting. And they showed why Auburn is one of the best places to play college football in the country. So Auburn now awaits their bowl game assignment, who they're going to play in the bowl game. It's not going to be a big bowl game, but Auburn needs to go, and they need to play well because that speaks to recruits too. And then after that, between now and then, Brian Harson is on the recruiting trail hard, I hope. And then after the bowl game, it's recruiting all day, every day until spring practice starts. And that's where it's going to be won. That's where this program is going to go. That's where we're going to see if it's going to go up or go down. And I still like Harson. I still think he's the man. But it's going to have to be on recruiting. That's where it's got to be. And I think he can get it done. Auburn football, waiting their bowl game assignment. 
they lose to Alabama in the Iron Bowl. They finish 6-7 and seven with a bowl game opportunity. We'll look at some Auburn basketball, men's and women's. The men's team last night got a big win against UCF. Big win against UCF. UCF is a good team. Central Florida, they are. They, um, they're, they're a good team. And Auburn handed, handled them pretty well. They were only up by three at the half. But Auburn had to battle through UCF's full court press. Which, it was weird because Auburn didn't seem prepared for it. And they didn't seem like they were ready for UCF to throw a full court press at them. And it caused quite a few turnovers in the first half against Auburn. But then they figured out how to do it. And the talent level on this team was just way too much. And Auburn ended up pulling away. And they won by 17. Should have won by 20. But UCF pulled up and drained a three pretty much at the buzzer. But Auburn won by 17 points at home. They improved a 6-1. and one. Of course, their only loss on the season is that double overtime loss to UConn down in the Bahamas. And they played well in that Bahamas tournament. They really did. They beat some quality teams. They had a, every opportunity to beat UConn. And honestly, in that UConn game, Auburn got everything out of it except the win. They grew up. They learned. They got better. They learned how to lose, which is always a good thing. And and I think the Bahamas tournament went perfect. Bruce Pearl said he wanted two wins. That's what they got. They went two and one. And that's all you can ask for. They came back. They beat a good Central Florida team. And now they have a tricky game on Saturday against Yale at home. And Yale's predicted to win their conference. They're predicted to win the Ivy League. But Auburn playing at home, the jungle brought it last night. And they bring it every single day. And Auburn playing at home is dangerous. So Auburn with a tricky home game against Yale, Auburn basketball. Home game against Yale on Saturday. I believe that game is at 1 o'clock. But this team, they're good, man. They're really, really good. And they're only going to go up from here. That's what's awesome about it. They have so much room to improve and grow that this team is just going to continue to get better and better and better. And I think by mid-January and February, this team is going to be rolling. And through conference play. As long as, obviously, as long as the team can stay healthy, which is always a big thing, and then team chemistry just keep on improving. And this team, while they're continuing to get better, Alan Flanagan, Auburn's supposed, you know, supposed to be best player, is still yet to play. He's still looking at a mid-December return, so a week or two. So then you get to throw him into the rotation and just make Auburn even better. There's got to be a way to do it, though. I don't think throwing him straight into the starting spot is the way to do it. I think working him in gradually, one, because of his injury, and two, because of the chemistry on the team so far. But if they do that correctly, I think this team will be outstanding. There's a lot, a lot of potential for Auburn men's basketball. And Jabari Smith is the best player in college basketball. That's all I got to say. He's potentially the number one overall pick. He's going to be top five guaranteed. Probably top three. I think he can go number one. The dude is an absolute baller. He can do it all. Walker Kessler, he's really finding himself. He started out a little rough, getting bodied down low, getting scored on a lot, not scoring a lot, using his size. But, man, last night I think he grew up a lot. He had 17 points last night, had double-digit rebounds, and he was scoring the ball, rebounding the ball, bringing the ball up the floor at times. The, the dude can play basketball. He's seven foot one. 
So he's got a lot of skill, and I think he's just continuing to get better. And then KD Johnson. He is where the energy is at on this basketball team. He is such an excitement to watch. He's so fun, man. He is just jumping up and down and screaming and running up and down the floor. The dude's an animal, and he's the heart and soul of this basketball team, and I love getting to watch him play basketball. Well, that's going to do it from a look around Auburn Athletics. When we come back, we're going to take a look at what are the odds. You're listening to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Moonlight Madness here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jacob Goins. We are entering the final segment of the show for the night. We are going into what are the odds. So what are the odds here on Moonlight Madness? We're going to take a look around the upcoming betting odds for college and NFL games this coming weekend. We'll take a look at three things. We'll take a look at the money line, the spread, and the over-under. So, quick explanation of how it all works. Money line for a football game, and we'll just use uh, we'll just use the SEC championship game as an example. So, Georgia right now is a minus 350 money line favorite over Alabama. So, on the money line, if the number's minus, that means they're the favorite. That is how much money you have to bet to win $100. Now, if it's the underdog, it's the plus number. You have to bet $100 to win that amount of money. So, the favorite, you have to bet more to win less, and the underdog, you have to bet less to win more. On the spread, Georgia currently minus six on the spread against Alabama. So, Georgia minus six which means they have to win by seven points or more for you to win. And Bama is plus six. So if you put money on Bama plus six, Alabama can win or lose by up to six points, and you still win. And then the over-under, whatever that number is, you can either bet on the over or the under. So if the number, let's say 50, if that's what it is. If you think the two teams are going to score a combined 50 points, that's what the over-under is. So you can either say, I think these two teams are going to score more than 50 points, you put money on the over, or if you think they're going to score a combined total of less than that 50 points, you put money on the under. So my last episode, we did not have one last week due to Thanksgiving, but the last episode on the 18th, I went 3-2. and I was 3-0 and in college and then 0-2 and in the NFL. So my overall record on the year is 23-13. and So that's pretty good. 23 and 13. I'm up 10 units if you're keeping track. And so these are going to be my final picks of the year because this is the last episode. I will tweet out my results and what how I did for the semester overall. So make sure you're following me on Twitter at Goins2Jacob, G-O-I-N-S, the number two, J-A-C-O-B, because I'll tweet out my final results of the semester because I've got five picks for you today. I've got two college and three in the NFL. So let's get into it. So in college, not a ton of games going on this weekend. A lot of the conference championship games going on this week. So starting with the SEC championship game, like I said, number six, or excuse me, number one, Georgia is a six and a half point favorite over Alabama right now, which means if you want to win money on Georgia, they have to win by a touchdown by seven or more. And I've gone back and forth on this because like to begin with, I said Georgia minus six is money. I said that is that's a great pick. I love Georgia minus six. I think they're going to beat Bama by double digits. And part of me still really feels that way. Most of me still feels that way. But then I start thinking, and it's Nick Saban in Alabama. 
And Nick Saban always finds a way to to beat somebody and always finds a way to make it competitive, even when his team is outmatched, because they are in this game. But I'm going to take it anyway. Georgia minus six against Alabama. I think it's close. I think it's close for a while. But then I think that Georgia just pulls away in the fourth quarter. I think they're too much to handle. I like Georgia minus six and a half against Alabama. Make it my first official pick of the night. Looking at the Big Ten championship game, number five, Michigan, number 16, Iowa. Michigan currently 10.5 point favorites over Iowa. I like Michigan to win the game, but I just don't. And I know they beat Ohio State by double digits, but this seems like a game that's going to be low scoring and it's going to have to take Michigan to score in the fourth quarter to win this thing. I like Iowa plus 10.5 against Michigan. So Iowa, they're not going to win, but I like them plus 10.5 because I don't think Michigan beats Iowa by double digits. Give me Iowa plus 10.5 against Michigan, my second official pick. Looking at the rest of the college football slate this weekend, number seven, Oklahoma State, and number eight, Baylor. Oklahoma State is currently minus six against Baylor. Number 24, Houston, and number four, Cincinnati. The Bearcats, 10.5 point favorites over Houston. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest in your ACC championship game. Who would have thought that would have been it, right? Pittsburgh is currently three-point favorites over Wake Forest. And in the Pac-12, number 11, Oregon, and number 19, Utah. The Utes are currently three-point favorites over the Ducks. That's going to do it for college. Let's take a look at the NFL. I've got three official picks in the NFL this weekend, and then we will wrap up the final show of the year. So taking a look around the NFL, Tonight's game, Thursday Night Football, Cowboys and the Saints. Cowboys are currently five-and-a-half-point favorites over the Saints. It opened at four-and-a-half, but is now five-and-a-half. I like the Cowboys, minus five-and-a-half against the Saints. I know the Cowboys don't have Mike McCarthy. He is on the COVID protocol list, but I just think Dallas is the better team. I think they win by a touchdown at least. I like the Cowboys, minus five-and-a-half against the Saints, make it my third official pick of the night. And then on to Sunday, You've got the Vikings and the Lions. The Vikings are currently seven-point favorites, minus 320 on the money line, with an over-under of 46-and-a-half. The Cardinals and the Bears, Cardinals seven-and-a-half-point favorites over Chicago with a total of 44-and-a-half. Tampa Bay taking on Atlanta, our first double-digit favorite of the week. Tampa Bay minus 11 against Atlanta. Sounds pretty good. I'm going to stay away from it, though. And the over-under is 50-and-a-half points. I do like that total there, but I'm going to stay away from that game. The Colts taking on the Texans, another double-digit favorite. Colts are currently 10-point favorites over Houston with an over-under of 45.5. Indianapolis is rolling right now, so seems pretty good, but again, I'm going to stay away from it. The Eagles and the Jets. Eagles currently 7-point favorites over the Jets with a total of 45.5. Cincinnati and the Chargers. The Bengals are currently 3-point favorites on the road over the Chargers with a 50.5-point spread. Giants and Dolphins. Dolphins currently four-point favorites over the Giants with an over-under of 40-and-a-half there in Miami. The Washington football team taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are currently two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Washington football team. The Washington football team, and that's a weird game because Washington either plays really well or really bad. So I'm going to stay away from that because I don't know where to go on that one because Washington is so iffy. And they either going to come out and dominate or they're going to get blown out. <laughs> That's my prediction. The Jags and the Rams, another double-digit favorite. That's the third or fourth one we've had 
so far this week. The Rams currently 13-point favorites over the Jags with an over-under of 48 points. The Ravens and the Steelers AFC North matchup. Ravens are currently 4.5-point favorites at home against the Steelers. Give it to me. I like the Ravens minus 4.5 at home against a staggering Big Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. I love the Ravens minus 4.5 at home. Make that my fourth official pick of the night. 49ers and Seahawks, big-time NFC matchup. The 49ers are currently three-point favorites over the Seahawks. Broncos and the Chiefs. Chiefs are currently nine-and-a-half-point favorites. I could see that moving to 10 by Sunday. But Chiefs currently nine-and-a-half-point favorites over Denver with a total of 47 points there. And then Monday night football, possibly the game of the week, the Patriots at the Bills. The Bills are currently two-and-a-half-point favorites over the hot Patriots with a total of 43-and-a-half. And I'm making this my fifth official pick of the night. It's a bold pick. But I like New England money line against the Bills. I like how New England's playing right now. I like how Mac Jones is playing. And the Bills have been kind of up and down here in the last few weeks. I like New England at home. Oh, excuse me. It's on the road. So, yeah, it's a tough, that's, a, that's a tough game. But I'm taking it. Give me New England money line against the Bills on the road Monday night football. So my five official picks of the night, three, or excuse me, two in college and three in NFL. I like Georgia minus six and a half against Alabama in the SEC championship game. I like Iowa plus ten and a half against Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. I like Cowboys minus five and a half against the Saints on Thursday night football. I like the Ravens minus four and a half against the Steelers on Sunday. And my bold pick of the week, I like New England money line at Buffalo on Monday night football. Well, that is going to do it for What Are the Odds? That's going to do it for Moonlight Madness here tonight. And that's going to do it for Moonlight Madness for the semester. Of course, this is, like I said, this is my last show of the semester. But I will be back in January when classes resume for the spring semester. I really appreciate everybody listening in, whether you listen, li- listen live every week on Weagle 91.1 FM from 7 to 8 p.m. every Thursday, or if you're listening as a podcast, wherever you get it on Spotify, Apple, Google, Transistor. I just really appreciate everybody that listens in, and it's been a lot of fun. I I love coming in here every week and just canceling out everything else in my life and just talking about sports. I want to thank Daniel Locke, who's been in here multiple times as a guest. He's always been a real good time when he comes in here with me, and and I want to thank Weagle. It's been an awesome opportunity to come in here and have my own show every week. I will be continuing next semester. I'll be doing broadcast in the show as well. And again, I just really appreciate everybody who listens in every single week. I really, really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. Well, that's going to do it for me. I'm Jacob Goins. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Goins2Jacob for any show updates. I'm going to give you my updated record on what are the odds after this weekend. So you make sure you want to see that and see what I end up doing and what my overall record is for the end of the semester. I will see you all in January. War Eagle. Thanks for listening to Moonlight Madness. Tune in next Thursday at 7 right here on Weagle 91.1 FM Auburn. If you ever miss a show, just search Moonlight Madness on your podcast app of choice. Tune in next time for Moonlight Madness, Thursdays at 7 right here on Weagle 91.1 FM.